everybody. Welcome to the Voxology Podcast. Mike, you're here with your uh, host with the most, Tim Stafford. Uh, Tim Stafford, yep, yep, looking perky, positive, and polite this morning. Oh, wow. And uh, we just want to let you know Seth Erie is in school, and so there is great disappointment, we realize. Um, However, it is Friday when we're recording. Seth will be very excited that it is Friday. And um, there may or may not be either Zaxby's or Chick-fil-A in our future. So that's just a quick Seth update. Um, his choice of restaurants, of course, rests heavily on his mind. He, as he's eating breakfast, talks about where we're going for lunch. As we're eating lunch, where we're going to go for dinner. As we're eating dinner, what sort of dessert uh, we're going to have. And so, um, yep. We have to stand in vigilant resistance to the man who would eat Zaxby's and Chick-fil-A every meal of his entire life. So, <laughs> What do you do when he wants the Zaxby's, but he wants the ranch from Chick-fil-A? Because he articulated that that was yeah, it's a, you know, It's a conundrum. <laughs> and um, usually we use the parental uh, prerogative to say, nope, you pick one, son. We're not waiting in lines multiple lines scattered all over um, the good state of Tennessee. So there you go. Anyway, friends, how are you, Tim? How was your week? My week was good. I don't remember it right now. Perfect. That is <laughs> that is the kind of excisive uh, commentary we're looking for, or incisive, excisive, no, in, incisive uh, commentary that uh, our audience expects from us. So it is entering, though, your favorite season of the year. We are Halloween decorations are making an appearance around uh, our neighborhood. And so um, just give us give us two minutes or two sentences, whichever is quicker on um, on why Halloween this time of year is like your jam. Well, a the weather. This is my I don't sleep. I, I run very hot. I'm already yeah, you a poor do. sleeper, and yeah, then, you do. So this season in the winter are my better sleeping seasons because I can nice. wear the blankets, get in there, get in there. But it was raining this week, so that was nice. Nice. I do like Halloween much more than Christmas, which caused a yeah. lot of emails M- last season. Yeah, minor stir, <laughs> minor stir. Yep. I did uh, record. I think I mentioned this to you, but it didn't go on last week's thing that I was trying really hard to cram in nighttime writing and recording a Halloween record, like a Christmas record, but a I Halloween love that record. So and I much. did it. I pulled it you off. You got it? I got it. It's not going to be great because I wrote it and recorded it all in my office in like three or four days, but it'll be well, out like a week before Halloween. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> ridiculous. That's amazing. Yeah, so we'll see. It'll be out. Got Mazzy on one track, Elliot Perfect. on another track, and then Perfect. The rest are all special in between. Any uh, Vincent Price? No. From Thriller? Can't afford any of those things. Okay. Um, I'm available if you need any nasally backing Some, tracks. Ooh, 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 ha, ha. Um well that's amazing, dude. Do I get do I get early access here? I mean, are there some perks? Yeah. To be you can hear it. You want to hear it? Me? You can hear it. Of course I want to hear it. Dude, that's amazing. Songs. Can we, anything we can pull for like a new intro 
or outro or something. We should. I've been, I've been trying to push been, you to the powers and principalities for a while. We should do that around Halloween. The powers and principalities. Get spooky. Get into oh, the supernatural. Man. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, I'll get right on that. Get on it. Timothy. Where hey, are you at, Heiser? I, yep. Bring it. So, ladies and gentlemen, wherever you are today, hello. We're hello. glad to be with you. I imagine some of you are exercising, and mm. so uh, please speed us up and uh, get that heart rate up to 140, 130. Uh, some of you are sleeping, which is great unless you're driving too, and then that's, that's a problem. Wake up. Uh, yep. Put on a little makeup. Um, anyway, system of the down reference. A system of a down, not the down. Because the down <laughs> is uh, Tim Stafford. A down. The down is with the sickness. Yes. Oh, there it is. All right. We've got, we're going to cover some content today, not hey, related to cultural warriors and warfare. And so this is going to be amazing because I want to take a look maybe at one or two other insults given to this Jesus fella today. Oh, we have some Timbits though, or that oh, one. Oh, 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 I'm so sorry. I was rushing into it. Let I, I do not want to go by the Timbits. Just because we have some positives. So this is a two two parts because I wanted to give her first email. Yeah. And then she sent a follow-up. So a while ago, she starts uh, with... Uh, explain explain what Timbits are as so opposed to Tim's Troubled Times. Right. So we've had Tim's Troubled Times, which was largely what the last four or five episodes were, were rooted in. Yeah. Uh, and then I yeah. was like, hey, I don't want to always be negative Nancy. So no offense, Nancy. And yeah. uh, and so we're trying to find a way. We know there's good things happening out there that are not being publicized. So we said, hey, folks, if you're a part of a church or you're seeing the church do positive things in your community, um, you know, reach out and let us know. And there, you know, I listened to a thing on the church in Martha's Vineyard that rallied when all the people showed up um, from the, you know, Abbott DeSantis stunt. They already have a program that takes care of the homeless, and so they rallied and made all that stuff available, food, clothes, shelter, everything for the families that came in to Martha's Vineyard from the whole stunt last week. Mm. Um, so that's great. Uh, I think I, you and I talked about the churches in this town with the fires and how they have um, tried to help rally and give shelter and clothes and whatnot to um, the people that are displaced from the fires here that are all now going home. Wow. And so this this is a lady that when we advertised said, hey, send us some stuff. She sent the first email a little while ago saying she starts with, firstly, Seth is awesome. Secondly, Agreed. you are both awesome as well, just not quite as awesome as Seth. Well said. And then she says, thank you for bringing some focus on good and beautiful things. The podcast meant a lot. Uh, but when she heard that there's a new segment, she wanted to send some stuff up from the last summer. She says, I live in a small town in Alberta, Canada. The rest of Canada refers to Alberta as the Texas of Canada, and for good reason. Lots of racism, <laughs> misogyny, ultra-conservative churches. We've got it all. Apparently, some pastors from near my town even made the news in the U.S. for their COVID antics. Um, after several years of wondering if we should leave our home church for a bunch of those reasons, uh, her husband, they made a decision to try another church nearby. And then, on, and this is the meat, the meat and potatoes of the first email. 
On our second Sunday at the new church, the news of the horrifying mass graves at Canadian residential schools had just broken. I had zero hope or expectation of any acknowledgement from the pulpit because uh, there wouldn't have been at the previous church, but I was wrong. The pastoral team got on stage and not only acknowledged what had happened, but led the entire congregation in a corporate liturgy of lament and repentance. Christianity was named explicitly as being used as an excuse to abuse and oppress. I later discovered that the pastoral staff, upon hearing about the mass graves, had made an appointment to meet with local indigenous leaders. There are pastors. There the pastors expressed their heartbrokenness over what had been done in the name of Jesus and asked directly, what do you want us to do? How can we begin to do better? Wow. Since, they've, uh, since then, they've advertised and encouraged talking circles where indigenous and non-indigenous locals can talk, share, and learn. They've encouraged church members to attend local indigenous celebrations and are continuing to meet with elders to build relationships and bridges between the communities. It's not going to fix the rampant racism on the prairies, but it's a step. And a yeah. step I had feared I would never see the church take. So this was mm, this was a while ago. This was in the last year or so. Yeah. And she sent another yeah. email yesterday or this week. Oh, it starts with "Hi Seth," all in capitals and exclamation marks. Yes. And Mike and Tim, of course. <laughs> she said, "Guys, I had to let you know there is hope. I can scarcely believe it myself, but there is hope in small churches out there trying to follow Jesus." I emailed a few months ago with a Timbit about local church uh, in Canada, in Alberta, where we had started attending. It, uh, it was grappling with the harm to First Nations people through the residential school system perpetrated. Um, this weekend, that hope was confirmed in bigger ways I dreamed would never happen. The leadership of our church from the pulpit on Sunday morning declared their concrete plans to listen to, learn from, and better love three communities, First Nations, LGBTQ, and those questioning deconstructing. Mm. You could have heard a pin drop in this in that sanctuary full of old white farmers, oil rig worker, workers, and homeschooling moms. When I say the tension was thick, it's an understatement. Mm. I was speechless and also vibrating with joy. After the service, I tried to elbow my way over to two of the pastors, and when I finally had a chance, I couldn't help it. I cried. I thanked them. I, th I thank them for giving us hope. I thank them for being so incredibly brave. And I told them I would pray for their email inboxes this week. They mm -hmm. cried. We hugged. They thanked me for the encouragement. There's hope, guys. I was this close to giving up, but Aslan is on the move. So there's some good news from our Canadian neighbors to the north. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. It's very encouraging. That's great. So if anybody else has stories like that, We'd love to hear him. And this is called Timbits because evidently in Canada, that's right. That's Tim Hortons, yeah, it, it offers something called Timbits, which are what donut. I think they're like donut holes. Yeah, yeah. Which you know, I mean, if I were going to describe you, that's the word I would use. Maybe that's right. That's awesome. And I, I, I you know, I mean, of course, and and I have no doubt that the good outweighs all the noise absolutely i mean i i love this little uh community i'm a part of uh and some of the things that the leadership's doing um i i just think you know none of it's going to make news none of it's going to be instagrammable and um but it's it's so worth celebrating man yeah. so worth celebrating and it's always been this way with the people of god right it's always been this colossal mix 
of beautiful and good and true and horrible and awful and ugly. It's often and, stepping into the mess where you see the good work done, which I, I love. Yeah, yeah. And so we don't want to ever, you know, we don't want to ever polish it up. I mean, we're we supposedly we're the people who are big truth fans. Well, <laughs> then, um, you know, it, there, it doesn't hurt us or the reputation of Jesus to be honest about some of our failures. Personally, yeah. as Mike and Tim, as a corporate church um, or as an individual, like specific church. So yeah. I totally love that. Totally love that. Um, all that is to say, let's talk about Jesus, all shall right. we? Sure. Let's do it. Let's, let's do talk it. about what a great dude he is. Um, so the, the specific insult I want to look at today, my friend, is um, the, the place where Jesus references that he is being called a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of sinners. <laughs> I get that a lot. R- yes, yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I almost considered putting that in my Twitter bio, but um, I didn't know if people would get that it's a Jesus kind of focused thing. But um, in order to set that up and how significant that insult was, um, we need to do a little bit of background, Tim, shockingly. Shocking. And we need to talk about the Pharisees. And we talk a lot about the Pharisees on the podcast, and, and we try, I hope, to present them in a really positive light. Um, they were um, the evangelicals of the first century. I mean, they, they, they were zealous for converts. They were students of the scriptures. They were meticulous in trying to understand and interpret the scripture. That's why they're often mentioned with the teachers of the law. Um, and, and so I need to explain a bit of the program of the Pharisee. And for some of you who've listened a long time, this is review. But I, I'm always encouraged to go over it afresh because yeah. it, the applications are new, you know, constantly in uh, the circumstances in which we live. So the great hope for the Pharisees was summarized in one word, and that one word was resurrection. And resurrection for the Pharisees wasn't just life after death, but it it stood. It was it was the word that stood for everything that God was going to do on that future day when um, he would, uh, God would you know, stop the, the present age, the present evil age. He would pour out resurrection life on Israel and the righteous. He would vindicate Israel in the sight of the nations. He would save Israel from her enemies, the Romans, and drive them out of the land. Israel would then be um, a light to the nations and, and be the footstool to use a biblical image yeah. from which God reigned. All right. So resurrection wasn't just that dead people were going to come back to life and live forever with God. Resurrection stood for the whole, the whole messianic age that was to come. And so the central parts of that were pouring out the spirit, uh, the general resurrection and judgment of the righteous and the unrighteous, the, the restoration of Israel. It's exactly what the disciples were asking for the beginning of the book of Acts when they said, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Yeah. Um, Israel, in their imagination, stood at the center, and, and, and you know, justifiably so, of what God was going to do in the age to come. 
And so, I mean, and this, they were striving to bring this about. It, it, for them, uh, as best I can tell, they, were, they still considered themselves in exile because the Romans still ruled over them, even though they were in the land. Yeah. Right? So they'd returned from the land, but they'd only had about 100 years of independence. The Hasmonean dynasty was, was conquered by the Romans. Um, and now, you know, what we have is a puppet, you know, half Jewish king, uh, the king of the Jews, um, King Herod, and this regional governor that kind of rotated around, but ultimately got to Pontius Pilate. And, um, you know, they hated, they, it was blasphemous that, that there were Roman imperial symbols in the holy city and around the right. temple complex and that they had to pay a tribute to Rome and her gods in the form of, of capital and taxation. I mean, they just, it, it was, it was horrible. And for them, there was a very clear reason why the nation had gone into exile to begin with and the very clear reason why they were still in exile even though many of them were back in the land and that was disobedience to the law and remember law for them wasn't some burdensome thing law was a delight law was a gift torah was um, freedom torah was the living in harmony with god and each other and um and god's very clear in in some of the old testament prophetic passages that whether it was the failure to let the land lie fallow, whether it was injustice uh, towards the poor, the orphan, and the widow, whether it was blatant idolatry to the gods of the other nations, that, that, that they were sent into exile because they did not keep the covenant promises that Moses rehearsed for them in Deuteronomy, and that this was the covenant result. All right? So for them, the answer was not military, unlike others in Judaism. The answer was the spiritual. It was holiness and purity. That was the answer. If we were more pure and more holy, we could, we could arrange it so that God will kick off this new era called resurrection. Does this make sense so far? Yeah. Yes. So, so what they did, and once resurrection happened again, it's not just life after death, but it's driving the Romans out, restoring Israel, vindicating Israel. It's this whole, it's code for this whole big new reality. All right. Paul even references this when he, when he's, he's in one of his trials later in the book of Acts, he says, I'm trial because of my belief in the resurrection and the Sadducees and the Pharisees get up. I think it was in front of the Sanhedrin and they start arguing with each other. Because the Sadducees denied the resurrection, but not just the physical resurrection, but the end time this sort of program. Yeah. Yes, because for, for the Sadducees, there was no life after death. Um, and that made their you know, uh, capitulation to Roman authority easier for them theologically. You know what I mean? So all that... So it just lights out? Lights like out. death and lights out? That's it, baby. Um, so, so for the Pharisees... I mean, we have to understand their heart in this. The goal was purity um, and righteous living. And they believed that they could invite God to pull whatever lever there was to inaugurate resurrection. All right? Okay. And bring them truly back from exile. But there were two obstacles to this program. Um, and, and we can't, I mean, take all of the energy 
that we would have if ISIS invaded America and was cutting the heads off of Christians. And that's the, the fervency, right? That this was hell because obviously the Romans were terrorists. I mean, the Romans yeah. were not like benevolent, benevolent rulers. Um, there were two obstacles to this. One obstacle was the occupying force of the Romans. They were defiling. They were defiling the land. They were defiling the Temple Mount. They were defiling the Holy City. Right? In the same way, if ISIS were here, we'd be like, no, 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 no. Why in the world did this happen? But the second reason, and, and this is the one we have to work a little harder to understand, is that the, that the people, that there were sinners among the people. Sinner for the Pharisees was a category, was a social category. It wasn't a moral category. The Pharisees would have admitted everybody did not keep the law perfectly, hence the need for sacrifices and so on. So sinner for them often was a stand-in for the poor who, because of taxation or whatever, could not obey the commands to travel to Jerusalem to offer certain sacrifices. You know, they were supposed to go three times a year. Many of them could not afford to do that. Um, or if they could go, they couldn't offer the proper sacrifices. They, these were called people of the land, the Amha Aretz of the land, Aretz's land, uh, I believe. And so the, the idea was sinner was a social and economic category. Oh, that's of, interesting. So, yes. So, and yes, they were morally... They were morally corrupt, um, but, but it wasn't uh, because of a, a failure of individual sins like we would think. Oh, they're, they're a sinner because, you know, they uh, got divorced or they, you know, are whatever, addicted to something or whatever. It wasn't a moral inventory for them. It was a group of people who stood in the way of God's inaugurating resurrection, um, the resurrection project. Hmm. because they were not obedient to Torah in the ways the Pharisees understood obedience to Torah. And, um, and so the Pharisee program included um, the, the idea of temple purity being applied to the whole nation. So one of the things that really stuck in the craw of the Pharisees is that the, initially in Exodus, Israel was to be a nation of priests or a priestly nation. But because of disobedience uh, around Mount Sinai, um, out of Israel get, gets called a priesthood. And those priests are given different levels of purity to follow and purity codes to regulate. The, the Pharisees argue, no, 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 if, if, we're, if we're to really fulfill the vocational call of Israel, we all have to be priestly, even though we're not Levitical. And one example of that was how they understood meals and we've talked about this before but they took yeah. the temple regulations around meals and applied them um to themselves wherever they were in the galilee or whether or not they were in the holy city all right so meals mattered in the first century we've talked about this a lot meals were an expression of your social status and we don't understand that i mean maybe we do if you're like at a, at a massive a banquet and you're at the head table um that means you're important right or you're um at a wedding and the, there's the the table with the bridal party and that party's kind of the center of attention 
Um, and you know where you're seated sort of ranks like even the junior high lunchroom there was at least when I was <laughs> back in the day there was an epicenter of cool and then and then it faded kind of the farther away you went from that particular lunch table um, so we kind of have an idea of this but you performed your social status and so the idea was whoever you ate with is who you were you shared kinship with. Right. You care you you shared a social status. You stood in solidarity with them. Like always would share a meal with like, right? So Peter, you know, when God shows him a vision of eating with Gentiles, is like, no, I've never done this. Right. Right? I mean, are you serious? This is or like Peter responds to it too, like, oh yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. He's exactly. Like, yeah. And they had and, and Peter had, and the Pharisees had good reason yeah. to feel this way. That's the point. They weren't these sla slavish, like, um, slavish? Slavish? Man, I'm, I'm making up words today. They weren't <laughs> slavishly, like, wed to legalism or something. They were totally infatuated with the, the idea that God could rescue them from Rome. And that the way God would do that was through the covenant promises that were, in summary, obedience or disobedience. Right. So eating, mealtime became part of the culture war back in the day. And uh, for the Pharisees, you, you prepared your food in a certain way. You ate your food in a certain way. You prepared your body in a certain way to receive the food. And, um, and then where you sat and how you sat and all of those things were super, super important to them. It was part of God's rescuing, coming to rescue us. Now, Jesus, um, oh, and, and for the Pharisees, I mean, all, this was the ultimate boundary test. Table fellowship revealed who true, the true Israel was um, in the land. And so um, how you operated at the table was a litmus test for whether or not you were a true Israelite. Mm. So one of the things I love about Jesus is that Jesus eats his way through the Gospels. Like he is <laughs> constantly having dinner with people. So right. here's, just, here's like a snapshot from, from Luke. Luke 7, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Luke 11, when Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him, so he went in and reclined at the table. Luke 14, one Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat at the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. Luke 15, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees complained, this man welcomed sinners and eat with them. Luke 19, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must have table fellowship with you immediately. So Jesus is constantly, right? Because, I mean, obviously we eat all the time. So not shockingly, uh, Jesus is always eating. But the meals with Jesus, particularly in Luke, become these really significant distinguishing uh, marks for how his program is different from the program of the Pharisees. That resurrection is not going to come through righteousness, I mean, it does because Jesus, of course, was fully right. righteous, but it was also to come with this this expression of weakness and suffering and meekness and and invitation to the Amha Aretz, the people, the sinners. The Pharisees had not, of course, anticipated at all. 
So the Pharisees complain their way through the Gospels, you know, not surprisingly. <laughs> and I was just right? going to say, it seems it would, be, it would be such a bummer to have Jesus enact it this way after, because it seems like it seems so stressful and like angsty to be a Pharisee and then to have him show up and kind of upturn everything and be like, oh, really? Like, <laughs> Yeah. And, and that's why the text will always say they were watching him carefully. Totally. <laughs> People came from Jerusalem and Judea to see what he was doing. Absolutely, because everything was riding on this, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? These were not like, these were not, they're just not the legalistic people we picture them as. These are people right. who were zealous, man, absolutely. But as Jesus, you know, will point out, it's almost a zeal without knowledge because they search the scriptures and they've missed him entirely. Totally. You know, so it's this weird, and so, so in a way, the reason zeal, I want to paint... How did you say it? Zeal without knowledge? Well, that's Paul's phrase. Paul yeah. uses that phrase yeah. about his opponents, but it kind of characterized the, the, the Pharisees too. Yeah. Um, and Jesus has some zingers towards them. And, and one of the reasons why at times he's harsh with them is because he would have been one. Like the, the social status he would have shared was that of Pharisee, part of the habarim of a like local uh, Jewish community. And um, so, so all that is to say, the Pharisees complain a lot about Jesus, and they complain about <laughs> why don't you wash your hands? They complain about um, why do you eat with sinners? Um, they mutter when he goes to eat at the house of uh, Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, right there. So Jesus is eating his way through the Gospels. The Pharisees are complaining about his eating uh, through the Gospels. <laughs> so you have this kind of you, you realize that the, the table was a culture war fixture um, about two competing visions for what resurrection was like and how it would be brought about. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, for instance, I mean, here's just one example. Um, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake of Galilee. A large crowd came to him. He began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax collector's booth. Now, we've talked about tax collectors a lot. But there were multiple, like tax collecting was kind of the first multi-level marketing sort of scheme. <laughs> because you had chief tax collectors who bid on the right to collect regional taxes in the name of Rome. And then they would farm out the actual collection of taxes to kind of lower individuals, tax farmers. And so literally it would be, as, as far as I know, um, and some scholars have painted it this way, that there would be someone next to the lake, as people were bringing in their haul for fish, there would be a tax collector there collecting some of the fish, uh, some yeah. of their catch. And so uh, because uh, Levi is at the lake, he's a low-level guy, but he's... These people were hated by the Jews. It was tax collectors were part of the reason why so many people were poor, and yeah. the, their poorness was part of the reason why they were disobedient. Right, right. So, like, you look at the root causes of sinners in society, and it's you're looking at tax collectors. That's why, in the Bible, tax collectors and sinners are two different categories, hmm. because. Um, sinners were actually held in a bit higher regard than tax collectors. <laughs> yeah. 
right? So, so, so in the, in the gospels, like you read about the two groups as two different groups. And that's the reason, right? They, they were expressions of the Roman pollution and defilement of the land and the subjugation of the people. So as Jesus walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, my assumption, and I think the assumption of a lot of people, is that these are people that Jesus knew. I mean, these are not huge communities, and he's been roaming around there. And so he sees this tax collector that my assumption is that he's seen and interacted with before. And he says, follow me, which is the classic, you know, become a student of mine invitation. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. Now, why does Levi have many tax collectors and sinners eating in his house? Who else, who else is going to hang out with him? <laughs> right? Nobody else. Right. There is nobody else that's going to hang out with um, Levi. Freaking and Levi. And so, uh, of course, of course, there are tax collectors and sinners eating there. Um, uh, for there were many from the crowd that we just read about who followed him. And so Levi throws a feast of celebration and welcome. Jesus accepts, but present are tax collectors and sinners, and many from just kind of the general crowds have been following him. When the teachers of the law and the Pharisees saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And, and now, with just 10 minutes of background, we understand like why that matters. Right. Like what Jesus is sharing status with tax collectors and sinners. Yeah, I think the high school cafeteria metaphor is a really good one because you can picture that. Yes. Clear, like the popular table. Being if someone from the popular jet. table came over and sat at our table, yeah, like it was a big deal. Or right. if you got invited to sit at the popular table. Or just to see who you thought was the cool kid. Yes. Go sit in the corner table and all totally. the people at the popular table being like, what, what is he doing? Right, right. <laughs> Why is he with the freaks and the geeks? Man, 30 going on 30. Or 13 going on 30. 30 going on 30. That's ESPN. ESPN. Yeah. Jeez, oh, Pete's. Anyway, so the Pharisees were right to question Jesus. That was their understanding. How? Not, not, yes. And, and they felt fully justified in their reading of the Torah and their belief in the oral tradition around the Torah. Yeah. That Jesus was squarely in the wrong because he was, and he, they wouldn't have used the words, but he was participating in their sinfulness. He was condoning it by being in their presence. Totally. And, um, and so, of course, Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And, and this is such a beautiful... So Jesus sort of does a little judo on them because the Pharisees thought they were righteous. So he uses that epithet of sinner against them. Well, I'm just, I've just come to call sinners then. Yeah. Right? Just the sick, <laughs> just the people who know they need healing, right? It's almost this kind of like backhanded sort of like, oh, you're really going to miss this, guys. Um, <laughs> but you see why they were upset. Now, Jesus reflects on all of this criticism in the book of Luke. And he... Um, 
he it's it's one of the uh, you know and there are a couple places where he does this but this is one of the very few places where jesus actually mentions an insult that he's getting um and um and he's talking about it's in the context of john the baptist and john the baptist had just been beheaded in context and he's talking about the fickleness of the of the crowd and he says john the baptist came and he was um and he was like totally ascetic. He was, he didn't eat. He was out in the wilderness. You know, I mean, we, we, you know, like um, uh, camel hair robes and whatever else, like really brutal. And Jesus is like, yeah, you guys remember that? And then you would say about John, well, he has a demon because he was so, you know, out there and kind of yeah. wild and crazy. But the son of man, Jesus's favorite title for himself came eating and drinking with sinners, of course, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And then he says, but wisdom is proved right by her children. In other mm -hmm. words, the, uh, to, the ways of life between my, the Pharisees and myself will be shown for what they are by the fruit that they bear. So, so just real quick, we got to talk about glutton and drunkard because that <laughs> comes from Deuteronomy, right? So that insult was a big freaking insult. So here's Deuteronomy 21, 18. If someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him, the father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of his town. They shall say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the town are to stone him to death. You Jeez. must purge the evil from among you. All Israel will hear of it and be afraid. <laughs> right? They've got common solutions to a lot of problems. Well, it makes you wonder why exactly they picked up rocks to stone him in his hometown. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, what what was it? And I mean, that's interesting. So, because there are some hints that his parents thought he was out of his mind, right? right? I mean, it says Mary and the family came to take charge of him because they thought he was out of his mind. Well, yeah, you try to play that out in reality. I mean, from from the first step, from an angel showing up and telling Joseph like, Hey, chill out. This is going to be as crazy thing. Yeah. But then going forward and just every, like the physicality of giving birth to a son and then like flesh and blood and growing uh, as he grows and him making these crazy claims, you can imagine that there's going to be oh, moments man, where you're yeah. like, yeah, <laughs> do we need to do yeah. something or right. is this really totally. real? Or? But that would make sense of Mary's actions and why they pick up stones if this was a common charge against him. Yeah. That he was a stubborn and rebellious son who did not listen to authority. Yeah, which is our one picture of him as a kid, right? When he was stayed right. at the temple and then his reaction right. is like, where else would I be? Right. I'm at my father's house. Duh. <laughs> um, which is so interesting because Mary says, your father and I have been looking for you. Yeah. And Jesus' response is, well, I've been at my father's house, which... Oh, ouch. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So all that is to say, like, <laughs> like to be called a glutton and a drunkard doesn't mean he was fat, although he probably was. Um, I mean, if you just read it, if you read it close. Right. Um, and no, just just kidding. And 
um, it, it had to do with he was a deviant, a social deviant, yeah. who who should be marked off um, as someone worthy of dishonor. Yeah. So, I mean, a pretty major deal. Now, so whatever Jesus was doing to provoke that was really significant in the eyes of the people using that term. That was just not some random insult because he went to parties. Yeah, right. Right? But Jesus himself gives the reason for why they use that term. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. So John separated himself from Israel. All right? He went out into the wilderness. He separated himself from the food, from the temple, from the whole thing. And in miniature, even though John has more in common with the Essenes, in miniature, John represents the program of the Pharisees, which is the program of separation Hmm. and purity. And so they look at him and say, well, he has a demon. Jesus comes bearing an alternative program of sharing status with sinners and tax collectors and, and that was such a big deal, they call him a glutton and a drunkard. And that, that insult tells us a lot about how much Jesus was viewed with um, suspicion because of the table fellowship he had with people. Right. Which means that the t- table fellowship he had with people wasn't the, the socially acceptable table fellowship of only eating with the people the community considered righteous, but was actually historically the table fellowship that involved him eating with people who were so far away from what what was considered true Israel in the day, right? That's why it's so significant later in Luke when after um, Jesus invites Zacchaeus to eat, he looks at him and says, this too is a son of Abraham. Hmm. And, And you're like, no, he's not. How could he be? So Jesus has this, so Jesus, the project. So both the Pharisees and Jesus want to call the nation to repentance. All right, make no mistake. The, 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 the kingdom inaugurated by Jesus is entered through repentance, right? The humbling of oneself, the embracing of Jesus, um, the gradual turning away of old creation and embracing new creation, right? Um, so, so there's no doubt Jesus wasn't just there saying, hey, you guys are just great. You're doing great just as you are. You're fantastic. You're great. No, no. He was called to stop by and let you guys know. Yeah. Let you know. Party on. Party (laughs) on, Wayne. Party on, Garth. Um, no, he wasn't doing that. He was calling them to repentance, but how he called them to repentance was the point that it, that he would give them social status kindness belonging Hmm. before they had performed the traditional jewish acts of repentance that was the point that his kindness led them to repentance it was it was in exactly that order it wasn't their separation or their moral superiority that the pharisees that never caused israel to repent um uh, at least in the numbers that Jesus of Nazareth provoked, you know, around the city of Jerusalem. Yeah. But that whole program, and that's ultimately why the religious leaders were opposed to him, because he, some upstart Galilean peasant, was doing all of this using the name of God as we saw. Right. Right. And then and then doing it all about uh, all of it outside the temple complex priesthood and sacrificial system. Yeah. And in these people's uh, homes. Yes. And, and if that weren't enough, glutton and drunkard, 
the, the, he, Jesus refers to himself as, you guys also say that I am a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, friendship there is not a reference of, hey, I really like hanging out with people and tax collectors are just a lot more fun because we drink whiskey or something. <laughs> um, this had to do with uh, being a friend of somebody was that you, you were intimately associated with them. You were yeah. considered... Um, kin with them. You shared social status with them. So the picture we get is that Jesus was willing to take on the accusation of condoning sin in order to love sinners into repentance, which, you know, sounds like an awful lot like a debate that's happening in the American church. Yeah. Right? I, I, I want more people to discover the freedom and beauty of Jesus. Absolutely. Not in some onerous, duty-bound, fear-based, you're going to hell or if you don't pray this prayer way. I think that is a ridiculous understanding of the biblical invitation as we talk about ad nauseum. And all of that's tied into our normal understanding of repentance too. So that Totally. Yes. Repentance does not mean change your mind. Right. It means turn around. So that involves your mind, but it's just a lot bigger than that. Yeah. Right? And um, and so when Jesus, I, I mean, because that's the debate, right? We have, it's normal in our culture to have Christians refuse. Now, thankful, uh, I'm thankful that, you know, um, this isn't happening more and more, but it's not surprising. I shouldn't say it's normal, but it's not surprising when Christians refuse services uh, in a business setting for people they disagree with. Right. You know, the, the the cake and the stuff and the whatever. And I don't know all the nuances of this and how, you know, aggressive both sides of it. I have no idea. I'm just saying, in principle, um, the way of separation is not the way of Jesus, right? The way of moral superiority, the way of, the way of, um, of uh, you know, kind of observing the sinners and commenting on how lost they are right i mean or, or you know making sure they know that we disagree with them before totally. we choose to love them i mean all of that is not the way of jesus the way of jesus is to invite people into repentance through kindness through belonging through the status sharing practices of our world yeah. that often include meals too through a table through a table i mean you know, um, a gay wedding is a really provocative question. Um, you know, I, I've talked to parents who are like, well, my children or one of my children is gay and there are parts of my family who are just not showing up because they don't want to support that. And I'm just like, well, I don't, I don't see that as a practice of Jesus. Yeah. I just personally, now, again, I know people disagree with this and blah, blah, blah. But, but this is where the culture war in America it within the church begins to play out how is it if we're if we're going to claim out of context the verse about if my people will humble themselves and call on my name i'll renew their land which duh was given to israel yeah. but how do we invite people to repentance right and the answer isn't through separation and criticism right Right? It's through intimate association. Which logically just seems like a no-duh statement, but... Well, but it, but it depends on how you read Israel, right? If you just read Israel as a bunch of... But also just with how human beings work and react to things and how you... Totally. And how God's treated us. Totally. 
But but the the biggest thing I want to say is um, people get real murky on this point. To 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 love people without agenda literally means whether they repent or not, whether yes. they change their mind or not, yes. whether or not they agree with you or not. It just it, to love your neighbor literally means uh, as yourself means. Hey, when I'm cold, I clothe myself. When I'm hungry, I feed myself. When I'm thirsty, I drink. Uh, and quench my thirst, right? And so that same energy and intentionality that I use to myself, I'm to use to my neighbor. Yeah, we dignify ourselves. We dignify our humanity, our personal, our own humanity on a daily basis with all the things that you just said. Yeah, absolutely. And to dignify the humanity in others, That's period. Right. That's right. But somewhere we all learned that the loving thing to do is to make sure we tell them the truth first. And yes. then, and then... We Even can, in those words, it's it's been reduced down to being that clear. Like, yeah, yeah. This is what loving is. Yep. And I just, I want to suggest um, at least most of the hardcore sinners I know um, don't Me. need any. Yeah. I mean, uh, Tim, our mutual friend, um, and Seth are some of the biggest <laughs> sinners I know. No, but, but, but people, people, um, except for religious people, people are very often in touch with their own brokenness. Oh, totally. You know what I mean? Now, religious people aren't always. And so right. it's not shocking that Jesus has some really severe words for the people yeah. who were sure they were righteous. Um, but, but for most of us, like, I don't need to be told I'm broken and there's something broken in me. I don't, I know this. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously there are some people who are wrapped up in self-righteousness of all kinds of sorts. And, but I, the, I, the, the, the majority of the people I come in contact with in, in our church community aren't people who are wrapped up in self-righteousness. They're people who are wrapped up in guilt and shame and fear. And oh, It makes me think you know? of that scene in Good Will Hunting when Robin Williams finally has the breakthrough with Matt Damon's mm. character and he just like keeps telling him it's not your fault, it's not your fault about the abuse that he endured. And... Yep. How he, Matt Damon's character didn't need to hear that he was a screw up or whatever. He needed to hear that he was loved and that the abuse right. that he experienced was not his fault. And that's like the breakthrough, like dignifying right. him right. in his humanity right. and his and his pain or whatever, and just kind of like. But think about all of the ways this plays itself out, even in family dynamics, right? If I'm upset uh, with someone in my family, I separate. Mm -hmm. um, I condemn, you know, I chastise as opposed to love them and love them in their badness or their mistake yeah. um, and invite them into a new way of doing things, blah, 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 blah. So, I mean, I, I, I just feel like when, when people, if we want to talk about the biblical Jesus, to be called something that severe meant he was doing something very serious in the eyes of his religious contemporaries. Right. And, and I think there is an analog a little bit to some of the contemporary discussions we're having about how it is that Christians are re to relate to whatever community, right? Whether it's, um, whether it's racially or gendered or sexually or whatever, right? We're constantly, we're constantly invited to take one of two postures or one of three, really. Because I don't know that Jesus just went around I was like, hey guys, I'm here. If anyone needs me, uh, let me know. I have office hours from you know two to four. 
I mean, Jesus was proclaiming the reality of a kingdom yeah. that, there, that, that has something to it and does something in the world. Um, it's just how he proclaimed it is the thing that's so fascinating to me. And so th this thought has so influenced the way I practice neighbor love, the way I understand church ministry. Um, it's been one of the kind of central features of, of my theological understanding of Jesus. Yeah. So um, anyway, I think it has massive applications, but I could not I could not do a conversation about the insults Jesus uh, underwent without this one. Because no, it's, it's really interesting. I was thinking too when you started, and then as you went through, especially since we started with that email of talking about um, the First Nations people in Canada and right. how largely it was the church and uh, those schools that this looks as though it was inflicted upon and who knows what's going to happen when those um, uh, digging those things up in America starts to happen. And right, right. I started thinking about how, like using our imagination to look at everything you just talked about and how we posture ourselves as Israel and how so much more in this story, like the people that are, um, doing power over and destroying the land and stuff like we're Rome in this scenario. And so when we take the imagination of how to adapt what Jesus is saying, we like, we instantly try to put ourselves in the place of the Jewish people, but we're not, we're not really here. Like that would more be the native Americans, the people of the land here that are still trying to teach us how to um, like cultivate the land better and, yeah, we restrict and we confine and we build reservations and we do this kind of stuff. It's like we have to use. That's just the the thing that I find so fascinating about all this is, it's how much you're invited into it, but then how much you have to use again discernment and imagination to to apply what it is that Jesus says to these people because we are not those people, not just by time and context, but by right like quite a bit else too. Like how we fit into this is not as clear as it is in the yeah. scripture itself. Yes, totally, man. And that's Could... largely done in community and having oh, those conversations of how we do, like, who are we in our immediate community? How do we do that's exactly right. what you just said? How do we love and posture and, um, I don't know. Yep. So it's, yep. There's just so much agency on our part in all yes. of this that it's yes. tragic to watch these like one, you know, these three word statements from what repentance is and how to love people. And, and, and I'm loving you by telling you what a yeah. disaster you are. Yes. Oh my goodness. So anyway, friends, Romans, countrymen <laughs> and women, thank you for your ear. Um, <laughs> that just works so well ladies and gentlemen thank you we're honored to be a part of your life till next time friends see ya bye thank you thank you thank you for listening to this conversation Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself if you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash voxology. You can also 
Join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials. Facebook.com backslash Voxology Podcast and on Instagram at Voxology. Thank you, thank you, thank you for walking the long road with us.